Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by exalting the glory of God, sharing and showing the love of Christ, and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now here's this week's message. I I was just informed that there's a family in the community that's grieving uh, the loss of, of one of their family members, and I just wanted to ask if we could just spend a moment in prayer for that family. I don't know whether or not you know them or how many of you may know them. Uh, it is the, hope I'm pronouncing this right, Tiganali family or Tiganelli? Tiganelli, okay. So if you just bow your heads, we want to be in prayer for that family. God, we lift that entire family up to you as they are dealing with their grief. Uh, we pray that uh, you would send people uh, who would grieve with them, uh, who would mourn with them, but who would also, as you allow, through the prompting of your Holy Spirit, just comfort them through the sharing of your word. Uh, We pray that you would use, this is one of those opportunities, God, that you would use the church to be the church to people in the community, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 It's really difficult when there's a family uh, going through that. This morning, uh, we're starting a whole new series, and normally when we start a new series, I like to give some background on where we're going, but this week, in order to give the background, the background is is all biblical, Bible-based stuff. So uh, I'm going to put some verses up here on the screen that kind of give you some background into where we're going, and it ties in from the series we just finished on names of God. Uh, But while I am putting those verses up, If you want to jump ahead, we're going to spend the rest of our morning in the book of Genesis, chapter 2. So if you have a Bible and you want to get a head start, open it up to the book of Genesis, chapter 2. If you don't, there should be one under the seat in front of you, left, right, somewhere around you. And while you are looking in Genesis 2, I'm going to jump ahead to give us some background on where we're going to the book of Peter, which is toward the end of the New Testament. Now, uh, in the book of First Peter, excuse me, First Peter uh, is considered, depending on who you talk to, uh, one of what's called the um, apocalyptic books. It does have some eschatology in it, uh, meaning end time references. Peter talks about uh, the things that God is going to do in the end time. Uh, that's not what we're going to look at, but it's always good to know. Uh, but in First Peter, or in First Peter, chapter two, this is what Peter says. Now, Peter is writing to. Christians who are being persecuted at the time. And I know sometimes we feel like we're being persecuted, that, you know, Christian rights are being taken away and we're not allowed to say stuff and do stuff. But this is a persecution on a level that we have yet to experience. I mean, people are being dragged from their homes. They're being fired. Their businesses are being taken away. And some of them are being killed because they profess faith in Jesus Christ. And this is what he writes to this group of people. He says, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He's basically telling them that as you come to know Christ, as you get into this relationship with him, and as you come to him, Daily, again and again. It's not a first-time thing. It's an ongoing, everyday, consistent relationship. Same way every day you sit down and talk to your loved ones or every day you go sit down and have a conversation with your boss at work uh, or your supervisor or whoever. Every day as you come to him, this is what he says, um, 
and he's talking about Christ who was rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to God. He says, you also. Now, typically, when you read uh, stuff in the Bible, there are certain things that are written from a historical perspective. There are certain things that are written to a specific group of people. Uh, You know, uh, uh, um, some of the prophecies are written to specific people in specific cities. It's revealed to us so that we may be aware of it. But some of the things are written to them and to us. And Peter is addressing his message pretty much, not just this part, the whole book, to all those who are suffering, who are going through trials and tribulations, and who want to understand more about God. So while he's addressing it to Christians during that day, or Christ followers in that day, he's also addressing it to you and me, and he says, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. And he's using a an analogy that everyone back in that day would have gotten. And I don't know how many of you are into art. Like, I haven't been to a museum since grade school because that's when they stopped making me go. So, I mean, for me, I just, I'm just not, you know, some of you guys appreciate art and you look at a painting and there's splashes of colors. There's no trees. It's just stuff. And you go, oh, my gosh, that's great. And you want to pay $1,000 for it? I want to scrape it off and put like a solid color or a picture of Batman, and I'd be happy. But he's talking about like art as far as in that day there were a lot of artists and they would chisel and, and, and create statues and stones. And you can go to a museum and see lots of famous, and I cannot tell you, not one is coming to mind. Who chisels something famous? Anybody? Michelangelo. Okay. All right. See, I think mutant, teenage, ninja, turtles, totally different thing. But... So you can go, and he's thinking of people who would chisel and create wonderful art like that. But what would come to mind when you think of that is that it takes time. Those weren't done in like an hour or a day. It take, took lots of time, and piece by piece, step by step, very carefully, things were chiseled away. And he says, you also like living stones that are being created and shaped into art are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. And what Peter is trying to tell us is that God desires to do something in Christ followers. He doesn't just want, and this is the picture most people have, that you become a Christ follower, and then you're like a walking zombie just following God mindlessly and, and, and without thinking and without knowing anything about him, and that's not what God wants. God doesn't want, like, zombie followers. God, although that would be so cool, if you could just, instead of having a witness, you just go up and take a bite out of someone. Ooh, they're a Christian. All right, I'm, I, sorry, sorry, all right. Way too much walking dead. Okay, so uh, this is what he's telling us, though, that God desires that we be something. He has a purpose for us. He didn't just call us so that we could be this mindless group of followers following him. He called us because he has something that he wants to do, and he wants to do it in each of us. Now, usually when you read something in the scripture, you know, a lot of people say, well, that's only one place. That's only one person's opinion. But this is Peter talking to Christ followers. Paul said almost the exact same thing 
in different words, but almost the exact same thing. Paul is writing to uh, the church in Ephesus, and he says, and he's telling the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, he says, you are built, and again, he's writing to Christ followers, you are built, using that same thing, building, God is building something, upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself, the chief cornerstone. In other words, what he's telling us is, hey, Christ is a cornerstone, but you're built for you and me. We're built on the prophets, what they preached, the Old Testament, the apostles, what they taught, the New Testament. And he says, in him, meaning Christ, the whole structure is joined or bound and welded together harmoniously. So it's not like this thing that's slapped together. And if you've ever seen, like, kids who built stuff, with Lego, do you guys ever play with like the Legos? I don't know about the Lincoln blocks, that's before my time, but the Legos, you just put stuff together and you build this like lopsided structure that your parents have no idea what you build, but they're like, that's so beautiful, that's, let me take a picture. Ugliest thing ever. But you just put it together and they're proud of you. But he's saying it's put together harmoniously. There's a rhythm to it. There's a reason to it. And I don't know if you guys have seen, if you look on the internet, you can Google this, uh, you'll find Lego sculptures. The last Lego sculpture I saw was one um, at the uh, Comic-Con, um, Steel City Con at Monroeville Center. Um, they had a Statue of Liberty. Not obviously to s- full size, but a Statue of Liberty. It was probably about four feet or maybe five feet tall. Uh, that was made out of Legos. You know how much they wanted for it? A couple hundred dollars. And it wasn't like, I mean, other than the jagged edges from the Legos, it looked good. It was put together. Whoever put it together took time to make sure that every piece connected and that you could, you could see the flames in the torch. They put a lot of time and effort and energy into it. And that's what God is saying here. That's what Paul is telling us that God has, that the whole structure, being us, is joined or bound welded together harmoniously. And it can, this is the key, it continues to rise or grow and increase into a holy temple in the Lord, a sanctuary dedicated, consecrated, and sacred to the presence of the Lord. It's a living thing. It's not a one-time, he built it, he put it, he kicked it off, now go. It's a living thing that is growing. He's constantly building it, constantly shaping it, and it's a living, growing thing. Now, here's the key. This is, this is what's really cool. Because he says, just like Peter did, God's doing that in each of us. He's building something in each of us. He has a purpose for each of us. But here's what else he says. He says, in him, in Christ, And in fellowship with one another, you yourselves are also being built up into this structure with the rest to form a fixed abode, dwelling place of God, in by and through the Spirit. He's saying not only is God doing it in each one of us, but when we come together, we are this living growing organism that God is using and has a purpose for called the church. When we come together in fellowship with one another, we represent this living, growing structure that God is doing. And it's a spirit-filled thing. It is a spirit-led thing. It is not a man-led thing. It is not a board-led thing. It is not a presbytery-led thing. It is not a panel-led thing. It is not a team-led thing. It is a spirit-led thing called the church. 
that God is using for his purposes. Now, here's the key. God desires to do something in us. And when we come together as a church, he desires to do something with the church. God has a purpose and a plan for the church. But the key is, in order to do that, we have to let God do the work. Now, since it's an ongoing thing, we can't pull back and stop God from doing the work. That means consistently, daily, we have to surrender ourselves to God so he can continue the building, the growing, the edification that he's doing in us individually and that he's doing in us collectively as the church. Does that make sense? Now, does anybody have any unfinished building or home projects at home that have been sitting around? Now, here's, here's the thing. This is, this is going to be the umbrella of grace, okay? That means if you're here with family member, you cannot hold them accountable for what they're about to say, all right? or for what they're about to admit to. How many have unfinished projects that are over a month old? Okay. I'm going to jump right to the end. How many have over a year old? Same number of hands went up. Okay. Now, here's, here's the thing, and you can't look at the other family member and say it's your fault. How many have over three years old a project that you have worked and not? Yeah, see? And here's the thing. When, when, you, when, you, have, when you have that unfinished project... So two hands up. <laughs> but when you have that unfinished project, it's not unfinished. I'm not talking about an abandoned project where you're like, we're not going to do this anymore. It's the unfinished project where someone comes in and says, can we get rid of this? No, I'm still working on it. And so you're dedicating time to it. You might be still dedicating financial resources to it. You're probably still dedicating human resources to it. And in the corporate world or in the government, and, and, and we all know that there are all these projects and, and government planning things or whatever that never quite get finished, but they're still on somebody's books. So somebody has to take the time to still go back and track, are we finished with this yet? No. When do we think we'll be finished? Next year. And then the following year, are we finished with this yet? No. Well, how much money? We still got to allocate money to it and resources to it and all this stuff, and it becomes a huge waste of time. And the same is true. When we pull ourselves away from allowing God to continue to do the work in us, we're like this unfinished God project. But when we surrender ourselves to God daily, consistently, then he can daily, consistently do the work in us that he wants us to do. And as a whole, the church is more successful when we as a church, as a group, not a denomination, but as a church, submit ourselves to God and begin to say, okay, God, we're here for you. Use us. Now, again, not, not, not faulting churches because I love the church. I love the church that God has created. But it is a fact that the more the church split into denominations, the less God work was getting done. Even denominations that said, hey, our focus is to go and preach the word to the poor and help the poor and let them know the gospel as they grew bigger and more splintered, then they lost sight of their mission. 
and where individuals have stepped in and said, hey, I can do this, whole denominations now, and I just, um, I, I didn't even ask her if I could share this, so I won't tell you who I got this from, but um, someone put on, on Facebook a post where now at a church, and I'm not, I, I can understand where they're going with this, but this, someone put a job opening for an associate pastor concierge. And I guess that's the person that's going to sit and meet you and direct you to where the coffee is and where the children's ministry is. You know what we call that in the real world? A person. You don't have to go get a pastoral degree to direct people to, here's where the children's ministry, here's where the, you know what you should be doing if you have pastor side to your name? You should be equipping the church and people to do the work that they're called to do. And honestly, I, I'm, I'm not shooting them down because I don't know. They may have, you know, 10,000 members and maybe they need someone, but I just don't feel comfortable. This is me. If we ever get there, just know in advance, we're never going to pay anybody to direct someone to where the coffee is, where the children's ministry is, or whatever. If we can't get a volunteer to step up and say, I'm glad to do that, we really can't call ourselves the church. That's just my humble opinion. I'm not dogging them out. I don't know what their situation is, but that's it. But when we surrender as a church and as an individual ourselves to God, God can continue daily to do the work. Now, here's the thing. There is a difference between submission and surrender, okay? Because you'll see this in the Bible many different places, all right? There is a difference between the two. Submission is where I, Floyd, as an individual, or we as a group, say that we are going to allow something to take place. We're going to humble ourselves, or I'm going to humble myself, and acknowledge that for this period of time, for this ongoing thing, that I am going to do what you asked me to do. That's submission. And definitely, we submit ourselves to God. We say, God, I'm going to allow you to be sovereign. Okay? Surrender, totally different. Surrender, it literally means to close or to shut. If you look in the Greek, in the, uh, I think if you look in the King James Version, the word surrender is not there. It uses the phrase to deliver up. In the NIV, you'll see surrender. And it literally means to, to close or to shut. You know why? Because once I give myself to you, that's it. I can no longer pull it back. I am giving you full sovereign authority over every area of my life. It's a big difference. Submitting means I'm going to humble myself and allow for this period of time you to be in charge. Surrender, meaning I am going to totally, without the ability to pull it back, just give myself over to you. And over the next few weeks, uh, we're going to talk about all these different characteristics of surrendering ourselves to God in worship, both corporately and individually, surrendering our wants, because those things really control our life, especially financially, the people we want to be in relationships with, the financial things that we want um, in our workplace, especially if we, if we are in a workplace that doesn't acknowledge the God that we know or doesn't believe in the God that we're talking about. And here's the big one in our whole family structure. Because for me, I may say, God, I want to surrender my whole family to you. But the other people in my family may be like, "Mm, not so much. But you as a head of your household or a parent 
have the responsibility to still take the steps forward of surrendering yourself and your family to God. Now, here's the thing. So this week, what we're going to look at, this is really just all background, is just taking that first step for us uh, individually, surrendering ourselves to God, acknowledging God as Lord of our lives in our everyday walk with God. Now, uh, let me ask a question. Has anyone, anyone know where that phrase walk with God comes from? It's in the book of Genesis. So um, if you're already there, if not, turn to Genesis chapter 2. And we're going to walk through this quickly. In Genesis chapter 2, you guys are familiar with the story in chapter 1, is the creation story where God goes through and he walks through um, the creation account. And Moses, who is the author of the book of Genesis, is recalling all of this for us. And in Genesis chapter 2, in verse 1, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now, in chapter 1, we're given this big, broad overview of the six days of creation that God used to create the universe and everything in it. In chapter 2, we're given a more detailed overview, not about all of everything God created, but specifically about the relationship between God and man. And Moses, who is the writer of this, he he gives us in chapter 1 this broad overview, and then in chapter 2 he steps back and he goes in a little bit more and focuses on the things that he thinks are important and that God wants us to know about, about that are important the relationship between God and man. So let me say this. This is, this is important because no matter what we do and no matter what your view of the Bible is, throughout the Bible, one thing is consistent, okay? People matter to God. Now, I have said, I've heard other people say, lost people matter to God. I don't think that's the case. All people matter to God. And if we're Christ followers, then all people, whether they're atheist, Muslim, whether they're Hindu, whatever race, whatever nationality, whatever denomination, all people matter to God. So as Christ followers, all people should matter to us. So Moses takes a step back, and he gives this account. And in verse 4, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. Now, if you have a pen out, I'm going to ask you to underline something. When the Lord God, underline Lord God, made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God, underline it again, had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. And underline again, the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils, the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now, if you have read the book of Genesis all through chapter 1, and if you were here when we started our last series, we talked about the name Elohim. And and it's literally the name that we're introduced to as Moses is writing and revealing to us about the God of creation. But now, Moses introduces a new phrase, the Lord God, which is literally Yahweh Elohim. 
Now, here's, here's the thing. Last week, or a few weeks ago, I forget which, we talked about the fact that that phrase Yahweh, or as in the English transliteration, Jehovah, Moses did not get that revelation of God's name until in the book of Exodus chapter 3. So way past where we are now in the timeline of creation. Okay? He didn't get that. But once he got it, he goes back and he uses Yahweh, which is the personal and, and, and what they called the covenant name of God, along with Elohim, the word that was used for God, and he uses that phrase, the Lord God, over and over 11 times in the second chapter, specifically as he is detailing the relationship between God and man. And it was Elohim, God, who created everything, but it was the personal Yahweh Elohim, Yahweh, who is God, who created and had a personal relationship with man. Does that make sense? All right, jump over to chapter 3. In chapter 3, verse uh, 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Now here... Note the difference. Note the difference. As Moses is revealing this to us, all throughout, as he's talking about God interacting with and creating man and creating the environment that he wanted to put man in, he refers to him as the Lord God. Yahweh, the personal, intimate, covenant God who is Elohim God. But in their conversation, both Satan and Eve are just talking about God. And if you read through the creation story and you read through the story of the fall of humanity, there is a shift in the understanding of who God is. There is a shift from he is the Lord God, personal to me, Lord of my life. He is the great I am who is God. Back to, yes, I know he's out there. He is the God of rules. He's the God of regulations. He's the God who says, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And anytime we get into that situation where we start separating this personal God who knows us and loves us and cares about us into just this, yeah, he's this God that's up there running the universe and doing whatever he has to do it becomes so much easier to step out of that place of surrender where you're, you're just standing there open arms saying, God, everything, all of who I am, everything I have is yours, back into, well, you know what, God, everything I have is yours except for this because you're no longer the Lord God. You're just out there. You're just God. You're no longer personal to me. I know there's a God that exists. I know he you know, wants us to do A, B, and C. But this part of my life, I'm not going to surrender to him. 
And if you read through, let me drop down, verse 8. Then the man and his wife, this is after the fall and after they eat the, the fruit. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Now, here's the thing. This is where the phrase walking with God comes from. And most theologians believe that that was not the only time that God came down to walk amongst humanity. They believe that there was probably just because of why he created man and what he wanted from man, that God would regularly, consistently come down and interact with Adam or Adam and Eve. But somewhere in their relationship, they lost the personality, the closeness, the intimacy with God. And he went back to, we got to hide now because he's just this rules and regulations and that's all he wants from us. God. But here's the thing. If you get nothing else, get this. God came looking for them. And God will always, always, always seek to have fellowship with man. It doesn't matter how bad you think you, you are or how wrong you think you've been or, 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 or how ugly you've been to someone else. God will always, always... That is the very definition of grace, is that we don't deserve it. We're not worthy of it. But God looks for a way to pour his grace out on us and to bring us back into that relationship where he's not just some far and distant ruling God, but he is the personal, loving Yahweh Elohim, Lord God. And at no other time in the Bible do you see, uh, there are places where there are what's called um, theophanies uh, and, and places where, uh, or Christophanies, where uh, God comes down and he does interact with man, or even Christ, before he was born in a manger, came down and he interacted with humanity. But nowhere else did you see on a regular, consistent basis God coming down and interacting with man after the fall, until Christ came. And when Christ came, it was the picture of what God wanted from the beginning. God and man in daily, consistent fellowship. And I hear, I used to hear, and I still hear people all the time talk about the fact that, well, you know, I got to work on my walk with God. I got to work on my walk with God. And the only way to work on that is to daily, consistently surrender ourselves to God, where we give him full authority and full sovereignty over every aspect of our life. And for I was going to say for everybody, but let's just say for me. It's one of the hardest things in the world to do because I don't know about you, but I think I'm pretty smart. So there's pieces of my life that I don't want to give over to God because I literally find myself saying, I don't think you know how to do that, God. I got this one. 
Or I don't think you know how to take care of that. Or I've been doing this a while, God. I'm pretty good at it. Let me have control over this part of my life. That's not surrender. Now here, I'm going to ask the band to come up, and as they do, let me share this last verse of Scripture with you before we wrap up our celebration. In the book of Luke, and this is after Jesus had been taken captive and they they had the false trial and he was in front of Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate had the opportunity, he was the Roman governor, uh, uh, he had the opportunity to let Jesus go. And this is what it says in Luke 23, verse 23, but with loud shouts they, they being the people, insistently demanded that he be crucified and their shouts prevail. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man, meaning Jesus, not Jesus, um, Barnabas, not Barnabas, gosh, Barabbas. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for. And here's the key. He surrendered Jesus to their will, meaning there was no turning back. Whatever the people wanted over Jesus, he was willing to let happen. Now, here's the key. Jesus said, I laid down my life of my own free will. So in actuality, Jesus surrendered himself to their will so that God's greater purpose could be done. And what God wants from us is that we surrender ourselves to Jesus' will so that God's greater purpose could be done. I'm going to ask you to stand, and as we do, we're going to sing through this song again. And as you sing this song, the whole purpose of this song is talking about that there's, there's nothing to fear when I'm standing with God and God is standing behind me and God is standing for me. One of the most fearful things on the planet is giving someone else sovereignty over your life is surrendering your will to someone else. And this is what God asks from us. This is what God asks from us as individuals. It's what God asks from us as the church so that he can do his greater purpose in us. God, we pray that you would, as your word says, be that God that never leaves us, never forsakes us. That God that gives us strength. That God who loves us unconditionally. That God who is the Lord God of our life. God, we know some of the scariest things to do to allow ourselves to give over a portion of our lives to you. For some, it may be the area of finances. For some, it may be relationships. For some, it may be just acknowledging you as God. God, but I pray that we would walk out of here with nothing to fear, knowing that the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, stands for us stands behind us and holds us up. 
God, I pray that in the days and weeks ahead that you would, through your Holy Spirit, give us that strength to surrender our lives to you individually and as your people, the called, the ecclesia, the church, so that we can be the people and the church that you have called us to be, the people and the church that you are equipping us to be, the people and the church that you died so that we could be. pray that we have nothing to fear. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said amen. 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 I normally don't say this, but um, I realize it's the summer and people got places to go and things to do. But if you can't be here over the next couple of weeks as we go through this series, download it online or get the CDs when we're done. Because we're not just going to talk about, we're going to take steps to practically practically submit every area of our lives or surrender every area of our lives to God so that he can be the Lord God in our lives. All right, I pray you guys have an awesome, awesome week. Thank you guys for coming. God bless.